0: Let's pray together. Father, we want to not only sing, but say, with everything, with everything that we are, good, bad, ugly, we want to respond to the truth of everything you are because worship is so much more than just singing or music or words. The Bible speaks of us responding in appropriate ways as worship. And the only thing that's appropriate, God, when we see and understand who you are is to say with everything, It only makes sense, God, that we would offer all of ourselves as the offering. We would offer our lives as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, God, that this is our acceptable, our reasonable act of worship, where we live our lives as living sacrifices, where we say, you are everything, you gave everything, and so we, in response, will say with everything, But God, we know that we can't get to that place of response, that place of worship without you, without your spirit helping us to see the truth. Like we said, God, we can't handle the truth. And so would you help us? So we ask for that now. We ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us. To enable us to see and to hear and to know these truths that you have for us today in your word. And as always, God, help me to speak it in a way that honors you first and foremost and then helps us. Because God, I I believe as always that you have the words of eternal life. And so it is so important for us to not only hear these words, but understand these words and apply these words. And so God, we ask that your spirit would help us to do that now. Because again, without the Spirit, we can't handle the truth, and so would you now guide us into this truth? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you got a Bible, whether it's the printed version or the digital version, you can open it up to John chapter 16, we're in verses 16 through 24, and if you've been here for the last couple weeks, you know that we were supposed to do this message last weekend, but we felt like... Last weekend's message, we needed to go back over the verses from the weekend prior to that because we just didn't feel like God was done with us yet. He, was, he wasn't he was done speaking with us, particularly over the idea that Christ uh, said it's better that he goes away because he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. And so now the Holy Spirit is our advantage. He is our helper. He's the one that guides us, leads us into truth and so we we wanted to create space for for God to really you know work in our own lives to help us understand man i'm not taking full advantage of our advantage and so ironically or you could say you know i don't believe in irony as much as i believe in sovereignty but in God's sovereignty we moved last week's message to this week's message when we had already planned on singing a song that you know we wrote about joy and then a song uh, uh, that we had planned that, again we used to sing way back in the day called with everything And so it's almost like there's a God, is one of our sayings around here, that that he designed it this way because I think those uh, songs that we've sung today and and the different things that we've talked about today really help us kind of as a setup for our text that Jesus has in John 16. Because I think, uh, again, just in this whole chapter, Jesus, you have to remember his whole goal is trying to keep us from falling away. He's trying to keep his disciples from falling away. So he's told us about the Holy Spirit who's gonna lead us into truth, and now he's gonna tell us about the fruit of that. Uh, And I think it's so important to get that to understand that because we won't stay on this journey with God if we don't understand what he's gonna tell us today. So let's go to John chapter 16, and I'm gonna read verses 16 through 18 first, and then we'll stop and chat about it. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And then again, a little while, and you will see me because I'm going to the Father. Verse 18, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. I'm emphasizing that cuz I want to ask you this question. And this is a church where you can be honest, all right? So honestly respond. Has there been a time in your life where you're like, god, I don't know what you're talking about? Anybody? All right, go ahead. You can just go ahead and lift it up. All right, you can cuz I want, you know, this is counseling, all right? My name's Jason. I have a problem, all right? Here's why I think it's so important to understand that. One, to encourage you, you're not the only one. And two, encourage you with this. If you've ever felt like you didn't know what God was talking about and you didn't know what he means, guess what? You can make for a great disciple. You can make for a great leader within God's house and God's family, because these are the disciples that Jesus chose to be with him for three years, and they still don't know what he means they still don't know what he's talking about. Again, I find great comfort in that because I think a lot of times in church, we can't be honest about our struggles. I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. And I think the detriment to that is this. We fake where we are, and so therefore we don't grow, and here's why. Because you can't start where you're not. You can't start where you're not. So check this. We got a lot of Christians that are trying to start in a fake place, and we keep wondering why we haven't grown past that because we are where we are, and we haven't acknowledged where we are, so therefore, we can't get to where we need to be because we're, we're afraid to acknowledge where we are. So here's what I'm saying to you. It's okay if the words of Jesus are confusing to you at times. It's okay If what Jesus is doing in your life is confusing to you and you don't understand what he means. It's just not okay to stay there, but it's okay to start there. And that's what I want us to recognize. These are Jesus's boys. They have been with him for three years now. And let's let's just say this. There are things that Jesus said that are confusing. I mean, let's take this one. Jesus says, in a little while, you won't see me. In a little while, you will see me. Which one is it, Jesus? To that, we would say what? Yes, you've been around church. Yes. And what's interesting is this word here, little while, is literally the Greek word, micro. I'll let you guess what English word, where we got our English word micro from. It's from this word, yes, micro. It means little. And and Jesus is saying, micro, I won't be here. Micro, I will. Which one is it, Jesus? Yes, So the disciples were struggling to understand what he meant. And that's what I want us to see. It's okay to struggle with what he means. While at the same time, I want you to hear me say, but you better figure out what he means. Let me give you a reference first, John chapter six. There's another time where Jesus said some stuff. And if you were here, we talked about it. If you weren't, you can go back and watch those messages online in John chapter 6, Jesus is speaking about his offering of his body and his blood as payment. And so he says these words, if you don't eat my flesh or drink my blood, then you can't follow me. In John chapter 6, verse 60, the disciples are like, this is a hard saying. Because they thought that Jesus was some kind of real weirdo, like literally take his flesh and his blood. So this, this is a hard saying. and one of the saddest verses in the Bible, John 6, verse 66, which if you want to understand the essence of the biblical de- uh, designation 666, go to John 6, 66. It's far less about a visible sign and it's far more about not following Jesus. And the saddest verse, I think, in the Bible, John 6, 66, it says, and the disciples turned away and no longer followed him. But then verse 67 and 68 Jesus turns to these same cats, these same dudes that we're looking at in John 16 and says this. I've got this on the screen. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So check this. There's going to be times when we don't understand his words but we better figure out what he means because he has the words of eternal life. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Jesus has the words of eternal life. So it is, therefore, a matter of life and death to understand what he means. If he has, if he possesses the words of life, then it's a matter of life and death to understand the meaning of those words. Are you with me? It's... It's imperative that we figure out what he means. It's imperative to us to figure out what he means. And, and this is what I think is so important to continue, especially in these heightened, divided times, in these political seasons, to highlight the importance of. Let me say it to you like this it's not the end of the world if you don't understand what a politician means. Because let's be honest, sometimes they talk and we're like, bro, can you put coherent thoughts together? I don't know what you're saying. Or you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth because that's what you do when you're trying to influence people. Right? You just make stuff up. But, But listen to me. How much time do we put in to try to understand what they mean instead of trying to understand what he means? You see what I'm saying? Let me say it in an even more personal way. It's not that important to figure out what I mean. But it's a matter of life and death to try to figure out what Jesus means. Now, Jason, I'm referring to myself in third person now, I try to speak to you what he means. But at the end of the day, what matters is not what I think it means, but what Jesus says it means. And this is what's called in in theology, hermeneutics. It's a fancy word that means interpretation. And so if you were to study theology or or go to school for it, or or you can do it on your own as well, the, the theological concept of hermeneutics is where you're trying to get at the meaning of a text. So we have commentaries, we have other things that, that, you know, different Bible study tools. I have a Bible study software that does a lot of this that helps me out that I study every week. Because every time I'm getting into a text, I'm trying to ask myself this question, what does this mean? These are the words of life, so I better figure out what they mean. And so the principle, one, and again, this is a freebie for you here. All right, I can save you money from seminary if you'll just understand this hermeneutical principle. When it comes to interpretation, the rule is there's one meaning, one meaning to a text. And then there's many applications. So in shorthand, what we would say, meanings one, applications many. So here's the truth. There are people, and I say this often, namely a lot of times on TikTok, that are trying to tell you what a text means. Like, oh, it doesn't mean that, because they went to some crazy seminary that doesn't believe Orthodox theology, and they think they have the definition of a new meaning of a word, when for 2,000 years, it didn't mean that. So what I'm saying is this, you and I cannot inject meaning into it. We have to pull it out. Let me say it to you like this. Have you ever said something to someone and they took it in a way that you didn't mean? Do you want someone injecting, injecting, injecting? What is that? I don't really know. But do you want someone injecting meaning into your words that aren't there? You're like, why well, didn't mean that. I mean, is that not right there? Like the cause of like 85% of your marriage problems, right? Yeah, I don't know if somebody just whistled it like in agreement, yeah. Like, oh, no, 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 baby, I didn't mean that. As my wife has so lovingly t- told me, well, then say it better right? Okay, I will. Not just because I don't want her to think it doesn't mean something, but it makes my life miserable. I'm about self-preservation. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. So here's what I'm getting at. Jesus doesn't like meaning injected into his words either. It means what he says they mean. So it's imperative. They were like, well, then what does he mean? let's get in. Verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. Aren't you so thankful for Jesus? They didn't know, but Jesus knew. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. This is what I, again, and I like to highlight this often. This is what sets Christianity apart. It's not only that Christianity has answers that are different than other religious systems, it's that Christianity isn't built upon us discovering those answers, but God showing us those answers. And what I mean by that is this, Christianity is not built upon the idea of, we better get to God and figure it out, but God came to us so that he could tell us what it was about. And you see this even in creation. You know, God is the the author of creation. Genesis is the account of God speaking. And then God said to Adam and Eve, you know, right? Cultivate the land, eat of this tree, don't eat of that tree. And Satan, the way he does, he slithers in and he goes, Is that what God meant? Right? And again, a little side note find somebody that follows God and has a job. Those two qualifications are necessary for marriage. Right? I think that's the sexiest thing that we could do. (laughs) Obey Jesus and work. And Adam failed on both accounts. He was supposed to be cultivating the garden. He wasn't. And he didn't obey the commands of God. Why? Because he believed that it had a different meaning. But God, the Bible says, came walking in the cool of the day. And watch this. God asked Adam and Eve a question. And I point this out all the time because I want to show you the remarkable similarities of your Bible. God asked them a question, where are you? Do you think God asked because he didn't know where they were? No. If God ever asks you a question, it's for your benefit, not his. He knew where they were. The problem is they didn't know where they were and they needed to acknowledge where they were. And they did. Adam says, we were naked and ashamed, so we hid. That is the essence of the human response. We hide because of shame. But here's the beauty of God, God comes to them and covers them. That's the gospel. So aren't you so glad that Jesus knew, watch this, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him but they didn't ask him. The other essence of the human condition. Isn't it amazing that we're willing to have so many conversations with other people about someone, but not with someone about them? In church, we're aware of the worst because we do it in the form of prayer requests, right? And, and here in our family, we say, no, 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 we don't do that. If you're gonna join our family, here's our rule. If you go through welcome track, we assume the best about each other and ask. We do not assume the worst and accuse. That's of the devil. We assume the best and we ask. Isn't it interesting that the the disciples are talking to each other about what he means when they have the one dude that can tell them what he means right there and they don't ask him. But Jesus is more emotionally healthy than us. So he comes to them and he's like, bro, I know you wanna ask me that's God. So God comes to us even when we are too afraid to go to him. And he asks him, is this what you're wrestling with? So again, side note, God knows that you're wrestling with it. So you might as well talk to him about it. You might as well go to him with it. You might as well say, God, I don't know what you mean. I don't understand what you're doing right now. I don't know. And then he says this, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, a couple things here. I've mentioned this before, but the word truly, truly is literally the Greek word, amen. So what makes Jesus different than us is we say amen at the end, and amen means let it be true. We say it at the end saying like, amen, let it be true. We don't just say amen so that everybody knows to open their eyes at that point. That's not why we do it. We say amen at the end of a prayer because it is like the period that says, please let this be true. But Jesus is different because he doesn't say amen at the end. He says it at the beginning because he's saying everything I'm about to say is true. I don't have to hope that it becomes true. It is true. So he says it at the front end. We say it at the back end. Amen, amen, he says. And then there's two truths that he says here that I think are so important for us to understand contextually about meaning when it comes to the meaning of life. Jesus says first, you will be sorrowful. Notice he doesn't say, you might be. Christians, listen to me. And this is, again, one of our chief goals here. When we say grow people, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to help you. And so listen to me. We never want to be one of those churches that builds shallow Christians. And by shallow, I mean you don't have a theology for sorrow and suffering. Let me just say it to you like this. You know when someone asks you how you're doing at this church, you don't always have to answer blessed and highly favored. You ain't got to do that sometimes. If you ain't feeling blessed and highly favored, you can say, you know what, how I'm feeling, broken, disgusted. But we don't say that because whenever we say that, people are like, uh, 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 thoughts and prayers, <laughs> right? No. Listen, at this church, what we're saying is not only can you be honest, but then we don't have to say pithy things back. We can say, you know what, man? That's horrible. I'm weeping with you that you're sorrowful and suffering. See, again, you can't start where you're not. But in Christ, you can't be honest about where you are. And Jesus is trying to build deep disciples. That's what discipleship is, going into the depths of the truths of God and the truths of life. And Jesus says, listen, he pulls no punches. You will be sorrowful. You will be. Not you might be. You will be. Why? Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? You know the phrase hindsight is 20 it's probably like better than that, 20, right? Like whatever. Like we can look, we know now what Jesus is talking about is his death, burial, and resurrection. We know that now. The disciples knew that after Jesus came back and explained it to them. But now it's written down, and we know Jesus was saying, You will be sorrowful. Why? Because he will die. And he'll be dead. Dead, dead, for three days dead. Not kind of dead, not sort of dead, not princess bride dead, dead. But, he says, that sorrow, watch this, the sorrow itself will turn. It will turn. Not you'll have sorrow and joy, but the sorrow will turn into joy. Why? Why? Because Jesus undid death. Do you understand that? When he came back to life, he undid the dying. The Bible speaks about it in the book of Revelation that one day there will be the death of death. Like death itself will die. You ever thought about that? This is why we can say death doesn't have the final word. See, Jesus undid the death. He undid the, he unraveled it. He, he, it's like he went back. I mean, he didn't, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he, he, it's as though it, it didn't cancel out the death. It's, he still died, but he undid the effects of it. Because I don't know if you have realized this, But when people die, they typically stay dead. But not with Jesus. He says it will turn. It will turn into joy. And this is what makes the gospel, again, such a unique message. And notice he doesn't say it might turn. No, it will. He's describing future realities. Both of these are in the future tense. He's describing future realities, not future probabilities. Because I've said this before, the future is not something that God knows about. The future is somewhere God is. He's operating from a position of not only he knows, but he controls. It will turn. So here's the reality of being a Christian. It is okay. It is okay to be sorrowful. It is okay to suffer. And it's okay to believe that those two things won't have the last word. They will turn. They will turn. Why? Because if the grave is empty, then anything's possible. If he overcame death, and this is why I don't understand when Christians freak out over politicians and elections. If he overcame death, you think he's scared of China and Russia and politics? Then why the world are we so scared? Why in the world do we freak out so much? And and we just recorded a podcast on Christians and politics. It'll drop this Wednesday, just in time for the election. So I would highly recommend that you go listen to that. But what's interesting is what Jesus says next. And I want you to understand that what I'm about to say next or what Jesus is about to say next isn't a political statement, it's a biblical one. Look at verse 21. Here's how he describes this. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Now, one of my big pet peeves, if you've been around here, is when people try to highlight the words of Jesus as if they mean more than the other parts of the Bible. This is why I don't like red-letter edition Bibles. Like, oh, that's the words of Jesus. What what do you think, the rest of us? Not? Bro, he is the word. They're all his words. And, and, And the trick that people say is, again... If it's an issue that we're discussing socially or politically, people say, well, G- ironically, Jesus never said anything about that. And this is one of those issues. So again, what I'm about to say is not political, it's biblical. People will say, well, Jesus never said anything about abortion. If it was so bad, why didn't Jesus say anything about it? Here's why that is such a, listen to me, a shallow reading. Because Jesus had plenty to say about what he thinks about human beings. And he just said one. Notice what he said. When she has delivered the baby, a human being has been born. Not a clump of cells. So according to Jesus, theologically and biblically speaking, that was a baby before the baby was born. So then you have to do these weird kind of Intellectual gymnastics to say, okay, well, when did that baby become a baby? Was it at nine months? Was it at six months? Was it at 15 weeks? And here's my answer to that question. Let me ask you another question. The Bible says that the word became flesh. So when did Jesus become human? Was it at 15 weeks when he had a heartbeat? Or was it at conception? See, if you frame the conversation like that, there's only one answer. And biblically speaking, it is at conception. And that's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. Listen, that's me helping you see what Jesus means. And I don't know about you, but I don't really care what a politician says about it. I care about what Jesus said about it, and then I'll vote accordingly. Because this is what Jesus said. That's a human being. Now, let's move into the analogy. He says, this is my favorite analogy, by the way, and partly because I never did it myself, probably, because I'm a dude and I can't give birth, but I was born. But what's interesting is I've been in the room where it happened. There's a play about that. And what's interesting, again, it's important to let Jesus frame our discussions. And, and I mention this stuff all the time, but about what I, because th- people ask questions about all the time about eschatology and study of end times and that kind of stuff. But one of the primary analogies that Jesus and the Bible writers use are or is a woman giving birth. And what's interesting is when a woman is giving birth, two things are happening at the same time. Sorrow is increasing and so is the growth of the baby. Watch this. Sorrow is increasing, and the worse the pain gets, the closer you are to the new birth. Right? This is why I personally don't think that God's going to rapture the church out and things are going to get worse, because he didn't rapture the mother out. She was still there giving birth. She had to endure the pain, and thank God for modern medicine. And gosh, those of you who have given birth or been in the room, that is like the most alien encounter ever. I mean, it is crazy, (laughs) y'all. This is why I always recommend uh, to guys that are uh, their wives are pregnant. And just by the way, y'all ain't pregnant. She pregnant. Let's just say that. We ain't having a baby. She is. All right. It's another pet peeve. All right. But when that happens, you know we try to do everything that we can as good husbands to try to ease the pain. And 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 again, you're not less of a woman if you take drugs. You're not more a woman if you don't. All right. It's amazing how people don't apply that. Like, no, sir, doctor, I just want you to cut me open, but I don't want to be asleep for it. Just take, I mean, okay, this is like, side note. But don't miss the analogy. Sorrow will increase. But at some point in time, something's going to happen. A new birth, let's say it like this, a new heaven and a new earth will come. And that sorrow will turn into joy. And in a weird way, and I've heard this is true again, I have not experienced it myself, that when that happens, a woman does not remember the pain or is at least willing to go through it again because of the joy that came. That's the analogy that Jesus uses. Sorrow will increase, but at some point it will turn. And when that turn happens, it will have made all the sorrow worth it. And then look at what Jesus says next. So therefore, also you have sorrow now because he's about to die, but I will see you again. And check this, and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No one. So Jesus means sorrow will increase, but something will happen. And when that something happens, it will catapult us into a new reality where no one can take our joy, where no one can steal from us what God has done in us. And this is where we need to understand the truth of what Jesus is saying, or listen to me, you will fall away. There's a lot of people that have fallen away because life got too sorrowful and too much suffering. But why did they fall away? Because they didn't understand that one day those things will turn. So listen to me, it is imperative for you and I to understand that sorrow and suffering doesn't have the last word. That something will happen that will turn it into joy. And when it's turned into joy, no one can take it away, not even death. And I don't know if you've realized this yet, but death can take away your health. It's kind of the point of it, right? Death can take away your job. Death can take away your relationships. Death can take away your Wealth, which is the interesting thing about death, right? You can't take it with you. So why do you and I put all of our joy into something that death can take away? Why would we not put our joy in something, or better yet, someone that death can't take away? See, joy is highly important. And this is, again, one of my biggest pet peeves when people talk about the commands of God or like God is this cosmic killjoy. He is just, he tells us all these rules because he's trying to take my joy, right? That's what every teenager thinks that a parent is doing. And that's what every parent thinks when they were a teenager, God was doing. That's why God gave his kids. It's people we create in our own image and then they grow up denying the image they were created in. You know why that's so painful as parents? It's because that's how God feels with us. He created us in his image, and then we use the thing that he created to deny him with. But I want you to understand something, church. God is out for your joy more than you're out for your joy. God is out for your happiness more than you are out for your happiness. And so when God tells you a command or God gives you a way to live, he's not doing that because he wants less joy for you. He wants more joy for you. Think about those of you who are parents. Do you tell your kids to to do something because you're wicked and evil? No, you're like, bro, if you don't play out there by the dotted yellow line, life's gonna go better for you. You don't tell them to to not climb up on the refrigerator and jump off because, not that it's not fun, because it has devastating consequences that will ruin all their fun. You tell your kids the things that you tell them because you want more for them. And here's what the Bible says. If we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more so the heavenly father? Church, if you only knew that God was out for your joy more than you're out for your own joy, then you would do whatever it took to get his joy. Let me show you this supporting verse, Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10. What's interesting, this has been God's message from the beginning, And in the Old Testament, you have the story of Israel, which is God choosing one nation out of all nations to be a blessing to those nations, because after Genesis chapter 11, when he made the nations, he chose one nation to be a light to those nations so that those nations would ask, hey, what makes you guys different? And so the message of God was always a mission to try to get the nations to be blessed. That's what God told Abraham. But why did he choose Israel? Because they were the smallest And they were the most insignificant, which is interesting. If you look at the the map of Israel today, it's a very, very small geographical nation, smaller than almost every state we have in the United States. And in the Old Testament, you see stories of the book of, not the book of Israel, but of the nation of Israel in the books of the Old Testament. And the storyline goes like this. God blessed them. They forgot about his blessing. And so then God sent them into exile. And they were in exile for 70 years. And when they were coming back to the nation of Israel, to the promised land, the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra describes these two things. And, and God used Nehemiah to rebuild the walls. And then the people are coming back. And then Nehemiah says this in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse 10. He says this to the people. And do not be grieved because they had been sorrowful. Then check this. For the joy of the Lord is your what? Let's, let's say it again. For the joy of the Lord is your What? Strength, don't miss this. He's saying this to a people watch, that had just built a wall, which, side note, it is not wrong for nations to build walls to protect their nation. What is interesting, though, is as Christians, we don't trust in the walls because we don't trust in our natural Strength. So Nehemiah is telling the people of God that are coming back into the land of God, don't forget what your strength is. It's not in these walls. It's not in kingdom building. It's in God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Again, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. If someone can take our joy, then they can take our strength. If someone can take our joy, then they can take our strength. Is it interesting that Jesus said your sorrow will turn into joy and no one will take it from you? Why? Because if someone took your joy, they just took your strength. Why is Jesus after your joy? Because he wants Christians to have their joy in the Lord because that is their strength. Here's what he's saying. If you're going to make it in life, if you're going to make it through the sorrow, if you're going to make it through the suffering, it's not going to be because you're physically strong. It's not going to be because you have resources within your natural self, your own strength, your money, your businesses, your house, your brain. It's not natural strength. It's supernatural strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So hear me, church. Jesus said, no one will take it from you. Why? Because no one can take it from you. Why? When I was thinking about this, another verse popped into my mind. You know, Jesus said, no one will. And then another verse popped into my mind where Jesus said another time, no one And it's in John chapter 10. I've got this here on the screen, verse 27 and 28. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. How? Through the words and they will never perish. And check this. And what's those next two words there? No one. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, let's put these two verses together. The reason why no one can take our joy, or sorry, the reason why no one will take our joy is because no one can snatch us out of his hand. In fact, that's the last point. You might wanna write that one down. No one will take our joy because no one can take us out of his hands. It's interesting The Bible says, at the right hand of the Father are pleasures forevermore. Who sits at the right hand of the Father? The Sunday school answer is always Jesus, right? Yeah. Okay, so Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and at the right hand of the Father are pleasures forevermore. Well, who's in Jesus's hands? Us, if you're in Jesus. And I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again, because it just is the best analogy I can think of. I have talked about my Father. And I have big hands. People see my hands. Like, oh, big. I wear a size 15 ring. I said this all the time if you've heard, you've heard this, but it, it's so important to get this truth. My father wears a size 25 ring. Yeah, I wear a 15. He wears a 25. You can fit a quarter all the way through his ring without it touching. He's got gorilla hands, banana hands. They are big. And when he put those jokers together, he could knock out my horse. Not a human, a horse. I saw it. This is why my dad always said, if you ever get in trouble, don't call me. I'm like, don't worry, I'm not, because the bars of the jail are protecting me from you. I ain't scared about the inmates, bro. I'm scared about you. I don't want out. I want in. Because my father was big and powerful. And when his gorilla hands gripped onto something, you were not getting it out. I lived by the truth that my dad could beat up your dad. Because it's true. But here's what the Bible describes about our heavenly father. You know, there's been all these um, satellites that we've sent into orbit to take pictures of deep space, and I don't know if you've seen these, they've been circulating on, online the last couple weeks, they've come back, and the pictures are stunning. And one of the pictures that's made its way around is really interesting, and it's a picture of what we call, this is fascinating to me, the Pillars of Creation. Interesting that scientists said creation. And in this picture, there's one like really bright star, and that really bright star is bigger than our galaxy. So this picture is a picture of galaxies upon galaxies, indescribably huge. And yet the book of Psalms says that God laid out the heavens by his hand. See, my dad's hands are big, but God's hands are bigger. And you wanna know why? No one will take my joy is because no one has the power to take me out of his hands. No one will because no one can, not even death. So listen to me, church. If someone has taken your joy, it's because you've allowed them to. It's not because they took it from Jesus because they can't. This is why I don't like the whole idea of yin yang, like good versus evil. Sometimes good wins, sometimes evil wins. It's this epic battle, you know, like Lord of the Rings. Now, Tolkien was a believer and he was using it to describe spiritual realities, but we fail to understand how big and powerful and awesome our God is. And God is not scared of Satan, he created that sucker. Think about that. Now, we should be scared of him The Bible says all we should say is the Lord rebuke you. I ain't got no power. He's got power over me, but he ain't got no power over God. God's not afraid of him. And listen, that's your father. So if someone's taking your joy, it's because you've forgotten whose hands you're in. You know the song. He's got the whole world in his hands. Jesus came and died and rose again so that no one could take your joy from you. That's what keeps you from falling away. That's what keeps you on the straight and narrow. That's what keeps you following Jesus in the midst of your sorrow and suffering because you know one day it will turn and when it does, no one can take it from you. No one. What if Christians live like that? We'd be far less freaking out on social media, worried about some king or some ruler of some country, as if God's like, what are we going to do about Putin? I don't know. God loves Russians, God wants his heart to turn. See, here's what's amazing. As Christians, we have access to unassailable joy, but we live as though it's so fragile. Why? Because if we're honest, remember I said you could be, you put far too much joy in human relationships. You put far too much joy in your job. You put far too much joy into a number on a scale. You put far too much joy into what you see in the mirror. You put far too much joy into your 401k account. You put far too much joy into your party or political preferences. So the reason why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's not just because their party lost, it's because their God died. But I don't know about you, my God ain't dead. my God ain't dead. So I got joy. And look at what Jesus said. Last two verses and we're done. Verse 23 and 24. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Verse 24. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be what? Full. Do you believe that Jesus wants your joy to be full? Full. If you believe that Jesus wants your joy to be full, then you will figure out what he means. You will let his words define you over anybody else's words. Because it's not just the truth and your life and death that's at stake, it's your joy that's at stake. Because only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Therefore, only Jesus has the words that can lead you into the deepest joys. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you came to us when we were so confused, when we didn't know meanings, meanings of life, meanings of why we're here, what our purpose is. God, there's so many people struggling today with these questions, but they keep trying to find the answers outside of you. And it doesn't matter what TikTok says or what some other person says. What matters is what you say and what you mean in what you say. Because you're God. You're our creator. If we want to understand a product, we look to the owner's manual the one who created it to tell us how it works. And so the best thing that we can do is go to our creator to understand how we work and what the meaning of our life is. God, this is the message of the gospel, that if we trust Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we will have life eternally because no one can take it from us because no one can take us out of his hand. No one can take our joy No one can take our peace. No one can take our patience. No one can take our love. That's the fruit of the spirit. And Jesus was the first fruits so that he could grow that fruit in us. But God, I know there are people here today that have not trusted in Jesus. They're not experiencing this full John 10, 10 life because they've never trusted in Jesus. Jesus. So God, I pray right now you'd save them. No one looking around or talking here as we close, if there's never come a point in time in your life where you have understood what Jesus did and what it meant, then today, maybe God has opened your eyes to see the truth that he died to save you and that you needed to be saved. And so if you'll simply admit that and trust him, you will be saved. So as always, no one looking around or talking. If you want to trust Christ for the first time, you can pray. You don't have to do this out loud, but with me, and it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place for my sin. I confess I have been looking to everyone else, but now I'm looking to Jesus to give me life because he has the words of life. So give me joy. I want joy of salvation. Save me, forgive me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, if you just prayed that and you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift up your hands so we can see that? We got men and women, are gonna walk around, put a Bible in your hand, and then you can put it down. Thank you. Then in a moment, Whether you're online or in-person, you can fill out our digital connection card. Let us know who you are just so we can follow up with you. We're not gonna show up your house, anything like that. We just wanna know you. But then there's a lot of us in here because I know a lot of you in here and you have trusted Christ, but your joy has been leaking. What's interesting, David prayed in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. See, David had sinned. He had admitted that he had sinned, but here's what's interesting. When he sinned, he got stolen from himself because sin steals your joy. So if you're here today and you've trusted Christ again, you don't need to get saved again, but you're just struggling because you've got sorrow You're suffering. I want to encourage you today. No one will take your joy because no one can. So you trust Jesus. It will turn. It will turn. Because he rose again. Your joy cannot be stolen from you if you understand who holds it. He holds it because he holds you. And so maybe your prayer is, God, restore to me the joy of the Lord because that is my strength. Father, I pray whether we're trusting you for the first time or we're trusting you again that you would help us because this is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of joy and peace, and patience, and love. So God, would you help us? The the strength is not in us, and God, that's where we made our mistake, thinking that we could do it, or we could manufacture it, or we we could change somebody's life, we could change somebody's heart, that we could bring about this desired thing that we want. We can't. And so God, help us to again admit that we need you. We need you to help us. And what's amazing is, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, then when we are weak, we are strong. So would you create that in us? Give us back the joy of our salvation because we need strength to keep going. And it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.